Hi, and welcome to The Sustainable Century, where we explore with experts, with leaders, activists, communities of interest, mothers, fathers, and kids, how to buy, how to work, and how to invest for happier lives and a healthier planet. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Welcome. Today, I'm talking with John Looking Glass. He's an American Indian, and he, well, I met him on Twitter, I guess, and I think he has one of the best Twitter feeds out there. Uh, you can find him at American Indian 8. He's got a powerful mix of wisdom, culture, politics, nature, mixed in with lots of irony and the occasional bit of humor. So it, it, it's tremendous to be speaking with you today, John. Thank you. Welcome. John, I wanted to start out is how long, you know, let's talk about your Twitter feed for a minute. How long have you been on Twitter? I find your, your voice very, very powerful. And I, and I kind of, what motivates you to be on doing what you're doing? Well, we started the Twitter account in 2014. Uh, we were originally on Facebook, uh, but we were telling too much truth, so Facebook got rid of us. <laughs> and, uh, uh, we moved over to Twitter, and from there, we've got into our own social network. We have a VMO account. So we're kind of like umbrella in what we call TARP networks. So we got, we basically got started in all this because we got tired of the fluff pages. And what I mean by fluff pages is the pages with nothing but pretty pictures and wisdom sayings, but really no substance of what really was going on in Indian country. And that's how we got started in this. Uh, we're a mix of natives and other races. Uh, and we have our own social network, AmericanIndians.com, AmericanIndiansAndFriends.com, I'm sorry. And uh, so we've kind of grown from there. We said we've got five different accounts that we're working with. I mean, what is it? TARP stands for the American Indian Red Power. About what's really going on in Indian country. Uh, you know, because in, in the American media, <clears throat> main media, you don't hear anything. It's just now that we're starting to hear more and more about missing, murdered Indigenous women. Right. Something that we do every day at 3 o'clock. We put something up every day at 3 o'clock about that. Uh, that was one of the issues because that's it wasn't getting out there. And now it's finally, it's becoming part of mainstream media. But it, it's taken decades to get it there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what are some of the other issues that that you would say are foremost amongst the the folks in in Indian country these days? Well, for us, it's like I said, missing, murdered Indigenous women. Uh, you know, the, the pipeline problems that we have. I mean, it's uh, of course we do like today. Today is you know free free Leonard Peltier Day. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of issues in Indian country that just never get any mainstream news. And that's, that's our whole point is that we're trying to put it out there of what's really going on. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel for you because, you know, I do a lot of work on uh, corporate social responsibility and you get a lot of fluff. Companies doing this, companies doing that. But in fact, 
you know, you scratch the surface and, and you don't see much going on. And, and it's a travesty that people can't confront the truth, I guess. Well, it's not only that, but you only, in, in, in America, you have six corporations that control all media. Yeah. You know, and I mean, they're even getting so far as they're starting to control your local news. Even. Yeah, or the local news is actually disappearing as well. That's, that's quite a trend that's going on, isn't it? Um, I wanted to ask you, um, you say Indian, you say Indian country, uh, maybe some people are, are familiar with that. I mean, what does, what does Indian country mean? Well, Indian country is, is, you know, American Indians in this country, you know, 70% of us live in urban areas. Um, so, you know, you can walk down the street and run across a native and not even realize you're running across a native. Right. Uh, so, 70% of us live in, in, in the urban areas. And, and that all came about from the Relocation Act in the 50s, where they decide, hey, we're going to take you off the res, we're going to stick you in urban areas. And all they ended up doing was creating native ghettos. But the youth today, the younger ones, they've gotten themselves better educated, they're more informed. You know, I'm almost 60. So, I mean, I've been involved in this since I've been like 13 years old. So, how how was it back when you started? I mean, I, I used to visit uh, with some friends of mine on Benelicut Island off of Vancouver Island um, around the same time, I imagine, as you were 13. I think we're close to the same age. And they had just actually closed the residential school there a few years earlier. I mean, the, the wounds were wide open at the time. And I mean... I can't, I can't even begin to imagine how difficult it must have been. Well, because you had no choice. Uh, you were taken from your people, uh, put in these schools, and basically the idea was to turn you into a white man. It was the whole goal behind the residential schools and, and the schools that they started here, you know, the residential schools here and the reserve schools up in Canada. Yeah. I mean, it's stunning. It's stunning to think. And it's also stunning to think that that's, you know, sort of happening in a, not even in a microcosm, in, in reality now on the border, uh, the U.S.-Mexican border. I mean, separating, I can't imagine being separated from my kids. No, I mean, and, and you know, it just shows you that evil just invents itself, reinvents itself. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, they were caging people in, during World War II in Germany, and, and we're caging them here. You have something like near 2,000 children that they have no idea where they're at or how they're going to reunite with them with people. And the thing is, they're not immigrants. If you look at it the way, it's, the way I look at it, they come from this country. That's right. And you got to figure all of Texas and California and parts of that up in area up in there were all part of Mexico at one time. That's right. That's right. My my kids uh, shocked me a bunch of years ago. You know, I'm, I live in Mexico. I've uh, been here for 21 years. And uh, my oldest son came home. I guess he was about 12 or 13 at the time. And he said, Dad, we learned some real interesting things in, uh, in uh, history today. I was like, well, we learned about when, when we lost Texas. And it shook me because, uh, you know, I, I see the world through a white lens. And I go, oh my God, you know, you, you identify as being Mexican. And I, I guess that's the same. 
I guess that's the same. I mean, from what I understand is the borders are not the borders for uh, American Indians. Well, you know, Mexico was forced into a treaty, the Treaty of Guadalupe. Mm. They, they weren't, they didn't want to do it, uh, but it was either that or America basically said, we'll just annihilate you. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I know that story. But let's go back to when you were 13, uh, John. Where were, you, where were you living at the time and, and what was going on? Well, I actually, my, my dad died in a drunk driving accident. I'm originally from Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Okay. okay. And my dad died in, a, in an automobile accident on Route 18. And my mother basically drank herself to death. And so in the process, I wound up getting thrown into children's services. Um, and a Jewish couple out of New York adopted me. Um, wow. So, uh, but I had a great mother at that time, a Jewish mother, um, who insisted that I remain who I was. Uh, that. I keep learning my culture and my language and my ceremonies and remember who I was and where I come from. So even at 13, I was the guy in school who was, you know, long hair. Most of the kids were all Jewish, you know, and, uh, you know, getting in arguments with the teacher when they would try to tell history from the American side and I'm trying to tell it from the native side. Um, I originally started going to private school until the, the people got together and said, look, we just can't deal with this guy. <laughs> and you know, putting back to public school. So that's what happened. I wanted to go into public school, but I still wound up being the thorn in the side of the teachers because I would never, you know, a, a 13 uh, wounded knee was going on. So I was really into that and what was going on there. And I would do book reports on it. And my teachers would look at me like, oh, you know, so hmm. uh, that's where I got started. And then, like I said, I've, I've been part of Occupy, uh, you know, I've been part of protest. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I've been been involved in this a long time. Did you have Confederates at the time? I mean, did you have peers? Did you have other American Indian friends? I mean, uh, or were you just alone in a Jewish community? I, I mean, was mostly alone until I got into my adult until I became an adult and then I was able to hook up with others and and because uh, like I said my, my my Jewish parents uh, my mother had this idea that she could save the world I mean she's a great woman uh, she ended up adopting me she adopted a, a Kiowa Apache and a Delaware out of Oklahoma and a Kiowa Apache three different natives in the house of a Jewish household, uh, but my my mother insisted that we all remember where we came from. But and, I mean, that, that must have been difficult. I mean, because in a sense, because I mean, you know, most folks that are not American Indian sort of see see that community as a ho homogeneous kind of uh, culture, but it's it's quite different. I understand from uh, tribe to tribe. It is. I mean, because you know we. We all have basically the same beliefs, but there are different interpretations of them. Right. Now we're going to listen to a little uh, Frank Wald. 
He's an Aboriginal rapper and artist out of South Dakota. His song, Aboriginal. The world said I couldn't be a king, but in the city I could see a throne, feeling like the king of the damned in the kingdom of sand. Build the castles as my freedom expands, to watch them fall down as the tides roll in. I never seen a storm come without a wind, and so I idle no more, rat the plight of the poor. Cause educated warriors are vital to war, and we battling oppression, got me stressing. Wondering if I'll ever learn my lesson, cause I can't let my people go. And I can't let my weakness show Even when I'm hopeless and I'm pitiful I keep going on that I'm aboriginal I got this aboriginal soul I got this aboriginal flow I got this pain that I can't shake Ties to my people I can't break Got this history in my blood Got my tribe that shows me love So when I rise, you rise, yeah Come on, let's rise, yeah. we're, we're talking with uh, John Looking Glass uh, American Indian, one of the best, uh, one of the best Twitter feeds uh, that I've seen. Um, you can catch him uh, and his cohorts at American Indian Eight, and they're part of the uh, American Indian Red Power movement. Um, well, it's not so much a movement. We call it a net. We call it a network. Network. Okay, I, I'm sorry, I missed that at the top, John. I want to be. And is there any way people can can tap into that? Or yeah, you have a American. Yeah, well, our, our main site is our own. We have our own social network. Right. Which is AmericanIndiansAndFriends.com. Right. That's what you said. Yeah. And that will lead you to. It has links there for all our other sites. Yeah, that's fantastic. Listen, I mentioned uh, before the break that um, that I had some friends on Penelicut Island, uh, off Vancouver Island. Uh, I coached uh, I coached a lacrosse team there in the in the uh, I guess it's early '80s, and I, I, you know I was scared of the of the for, we call them First Nations in Canada because it was just such a foreign culture. And then one day they said, "Come on over to the island. Um, we're gonna we're gonna have a." Uh, you know, sort of the clam dig and clam bake. And we wanted to thank you for coaching. And I went over there and I remember thinking, I had, no, I mean, I, I had no idea about how different the culture was and how connected uh, their community was to, to nature. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that, John, because in your feed, in your Twitter feed, there's some amazing words of wisdom, as as you pointed out. Um, and there's some incredible um, videos. One that my boy and I watched several times this uh, yesterday uh, was wolves howling at the early morning sunrise. It's, it's beautiful. Um, but I don't want to stereotype. So I, I want to ask you, how deeply do uh, American Indians feel uh, a connection to nature? Uh, and and how would you describe that to a non-native American, a non-American Indian? I mean, particularly in the context of how we're pretty much destroying the world and heading towards a mass extinction. Extinction. Well, you know, we look upon as as Mother Earth. I mean, it's where we come from. It's where we're going to go back to. Uh, you know, it, for us to harm Mother Earth would be as, as as just as bad as trying to harm ourselves, um, because we're all connected, and we all will go back to Mother Earth. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And 
people get lose sight of that. They, you know, they don't, they don't realize how much of a connection there really is because we are, we, we're as part of mother earth as, as she is a part of us. But how does that, I mean, how do you feel being disconnected and being in an urban area for so long? I mean, how, how do you... It's hard sometimes because, you know, you're in this concrete and steel jungle, as I call it. Uh, so, I mean, I have to. I, I mean, for me, I have to escape. I, I you know, uh, today I'm down here in Pennsylvania with my brother. And, uh, you know, this morning we went out and just hung out in the woods. Um, you know, just to get away from the concrete jungle. Another thing that I was struck in your uh, Twitter feed was the sort of a moral perspective on life, if you will. I'm, I'm not sure if that's the, the way to tag it. But, uh, you know, one of the ones that I, I really loved looking at was a uh, water oil color painting that uh, says, what makes a true warrior is being brave and having courage in the truth of what uh, he believes. Um, we could put she, I suppose, in there as well. And do you see these days a lack of courage amongst in your own community, or is that growing? And what do you see outside? It, we have we have just as much problems in our communities as everybody else does. But our problem is that we have, you know, we have councils that were set up by the United States government in 1937. Uh, so we call them colonized because most of them are out to make a buck for themselves. And they could care less for the people. Um, so we, you know, we have. Uh, huge problems with domestic violence, uh, uh, child abuse, uh, all these things that came about from colonization that were never part of our culture are now part of it. Um, so, I mean, we go through just as much as what anybody else goes through, hmm. but we never intended to. You know, we were colonized to the point that we're now everything from the colonizers has now become part of our communities. And it's just only recently in the last few years that the young people are starting to stand up and, and try to rein back in the culture and try to end this colonization mindset. Right, right. I mean, in your Twitter feed, you talk a lot about education and I know we talked a little bit about it at the top before we started recording. and. I, I guess there must be some inroads there. Uh, what has been done and what needs to be done in, in education to further, you know, sort of the emergence of leaders within your community, youth? Well, I think the biggest thing that needs to happen, at least in, in my country here in America, is that it needs to be start be taught in schools who we are, that we're not dead, because that's mostly what we you're taught in school in this country, is that we're dead. Oh, no. Yeah, because I mean, 80% of the schools in this country don't go past 1890. Uh, 25%, 25 states out of 50 don't even mention a tribe in their curriculum. Hmm. Uh, you know, they, they all most end with uh, Wounded Knee in 1890, which they call the last great Indian War, <laughs> and actually, when it was actually a massacre. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I used to get in trouble in school over those kind of things because I would not agree with them, you know. Yeah. I tell them what the true history was. And, of course, you know, 
people like truth, but they don't like the unsugared version. So I think that's the biggest problem in this country is, is that this country, I mean, it's changed now. There are some states that now it is part of the curriculum, but not enough. Uh, that's the biggest thing I think needs to be done in this country is that children within schools need to be taught that we're not dead. You know, that we are real and that we're lawyers and doctors and even astronauts. But that's not taught. And I think that's one of the biggest problems in this country is that most Americans don't even realize we're still around. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a wonderful picture on your Twitter feed. I think it was yours this morning uh, of a young woman who had run, uh, run the Boston Marathon uh, supporting uh, a cause within one of her communities. Um, I can't remember which. Uh, which she was missing and murdered an indigenous woman. And she took the 26 miles along the route, every mile she would say a prayer for one of those in her community. Wow. That was missing and murdered. That's fantastic. And she had paint on her face. And what do you, you know, it's like I see that and I go, okay, give us some advice, John. I mean, when, when an, a person who is so unfamiliar uh, with American Indians finds himself in the company of one, and or uh, wants to help out somehow, what, what, what should we do? Shut up and listen. We're part of a group that is not only, you know, our TARP networks, I mean, our social network is run by a woman out of England. We get a lot of what we call the white savior complex, you know, to where they think they've got all the answers, but they don't want to shut up and listen to us. So well, I think it's the biggest thing that a person can do is, is they can just shut up and listen. You know, listen to what they've got to say. Listen to what the native has to say. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that has always motivated me uh, personally to uh, at least stay in touch with, you know, some of my friends from First Nations in, in, in Canada is, I, I'm not sure this is necessary. I, I don't know. See what you make of it. I'm just going to tell you straight up, you know, my folks stole your guys' land, basically. And so whenever I think about it, I feel like I've been an intruder all my life. Uh, and I'm not trying to be gratuitous. I, right. I, I just, I, I'm not sure I know how to handle that feeling, you know? Right. And, and, and I'm not sure, you know, what should we do? Right. Well, like I said, I think the biggest thing that, that you know, don't take this the wrong way, but white America and whites in general need to do is they just need to sit back and listen. You know, instead of trying to come up with all the answers, listen to those that know and go from there. And it's not all. Believe me, it's not all. Because like I said, we have some great people that work with us, uh, you know, like Sue, who runs the, you know, runs our social network. Um, so it's not everyone. But it's, it's this mindset that we've got all the answers. Yeah. And no, you don't. Uh, no. Well, your country wouldn't be your country wouldn't be in shape of thin right now if you listen to us in the first place. You could juxtapose the two, not a problem, and we should figure that one out. You know, I've worked in a lot of different countries over like thirty-five countries around the world, mostly in in what are called, and I don't like the term, but we don't seem to have a better one in developing countries. And I had come to the conclusion that if if we think we know it all, we should have a much better place than we do. And, and we really, you know, Canada and Mexico and, and the United States, there's so many 
big problems. On a closing note, um, John, what are some of the big positives you see for your community and, and maybe even for your country? Well, I think the biggest thing is, is our young ones. Uh, they've gotten themselves educated. They, they know how the system works and they know how to, how to work the system. You know, they've become lawyers and, and activists. You know, um, you know, Standing Rock was a, was a wake up call. And, and that's, that reverberates even today. I mean, we have all these different places where they're fighting these pipelines. I, I'm, I'm encouraged now. I mean, even at my age is almost 60. I'm encouraged by the young uh, because I see that the young are starting to take over the councils and starting to be more vocal about things. The young now are starting to stand up and say, hey, wait a minute, we are still here. Listen to us. Well, maybe that's something all communities have in common, John, looking to their young uh, to define the future, define their own future, and, and hopefully a much better future than the one we've crafted for them. I can't recommend people enough to check out American Indian 8, at American Indian 8 on Twitter. Uh, you can learn a lot uh, just by watching the feed, uh, but I would encourage you also to, I encourage everybody also to uh, shut up and listen by learning more about history and about uh, some of the ongoing battles in the environment and social justice, economic justice from an American Indian perspective. Today I've been speaking with John Looking Glass, uh, American Indian. He's with uh, a number of groups, one of which is the American Indians and Friends, and you can find them at AmericanIndianAndFriends.com. Uh, and again, uh, watch for them on Twitter, one of the best ones out there, American Indian 8. Thank you so much, John. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields. I'm the host of The Sustainable Century. And remember to check out our pods, blogs, and videos at the Sustainable Century, all one word, .net. Or you can see us at CSR Counts on Twitter. And remember to buy, invest, and vote for a happier and healthier, more sustainable world. Thanks again.